Well, welcome back to the Building Peace Initiative. This is John Van Bladel at YouWantAPeaceOfMeOnline.com. We're going to continue this week's podcast with Selective Empathy. Oh, I missed a week. It's uh, sort of the end of the semester, and I got super busy um, with work. So I had to put this off for a week rather than rush through it. But here I am, again, continuing with our favorite topic for the last few weeks, Empathy. Now, in the last podcast, I spoke a lot about judging, labeling, and diagnosing uh, as a block to empathy. Another issue can be what occurs when we come into contact with suffering. It can be painful for us. Now, in the past, I've used the example of walking by a homeless person. Um, We often judge them and attach labels to them, such as addict or lazy. We make it a character trait, a personal failure, and we come up with a narrative to handle our discomfort to disable that empathy. One of the problems is the template for empathy and compassion is there within us. It's one of the reasons why we feel so much discomfort in the presence of those who are suffering, especially when they are asking us for something, like a donation in the case of someone who's homeless. There is a voice inside of us, an ethical center, that says we're supposed to help. That little voice creates tension in us, and between us, between us meaning the homeless person. Now, I don't know of many ethical systems, including religions, outside of prosperity theology, and if you haven't heard of that, it encourages amassing wealth over helping those in needs, at least that's one iteration of it. I've been waiting to use that word. Uh, By the way, I consider uh, prosperity theology an unethical system. The golden rule is pretty clear. Treat others the way you want to be treated. What is also clear is we as a culture don't practice it very well. The resulting cognitive dissonance can be a whole lot to bear. Uh, If we're unaware of our discomfort in a situation, it can come out in a really life-negating way. Now, I know some of you are turned off by religion, but you really have to understand it at the very least. Uh, It's the foundation of what we aspire to have as ethical systems in some cases. Uh, But we'll get to that in a later podcast. Did I say podcast? Perhaps I'll prod you to listen to the podcast. <laughs> hey, I've created a new word. I've always wanted to do that and get in the dictionary. So, in the worst case, when we encounter a homeless person, we want to be rid of them and take steps to do so. Uh, we may complain to the local authorities. We'll ignore them. In some cases, shelters have been known to purchase a one-way ticket for a homeless person and send them away on a bus to a shelter somewhere else passing the problem on. Uh, Sometimes administrations will try and drive them out of one part in the city into another. Um, People who are affluent sometimes are disturbed by walking down a street and seeing a homeless person. Washington, D.C., I forget the name of the um, street, but there's really one that goes off, there's several that go off of DuPont Square. But uh, boy, it's a really affluent area, and it seemed like every 200 yards, and I haven't been down there in eight years or so, there were homeless people, um, and I'm sure it's upsetting to some people, but it's upsetting for the wrong reason. It might help if we were upset because they were homeless and took some steps to do something about it. Um, we also passed the problem on by denying the possibility that it could happen to us. Um, an example I've used in the past is one of my colleagues uh, responded the other day when some of us were talking about job losses in the area and the plight of those who lost their jobs as it sucks for them. Now, apparently that pe- that person was feeling quite safe in their job. Or was he? 
uh, we often don't want to entertain the possibility that something similar to what we are dismissing could happen to us, so we push it away. We also may not want to take some responsibility for others who are suffering or, as I mentioned, acknowledge the possibility that we may have an obligation to help. Now ask yourselves, and this is a tough question, have our actions or the way we live our lives deprived others of an equal chance at prosperity or happiness? There may be a good deal of guilt underneath our inaction, so we blame the victim as if they're the cause of our suffering. And many who suffer are indeed victims of things we could not imagine. If you took a, a history of some of these people, you'd find layer upon layer of trauma. We just don't know because we choose not to listen. Instead, we label and we dismiss. Now, our own suffering in front of us may actually lead us to become angry and blame whoever is in trouble uh, for making us feel the way we do. You know, I frequently hear people make comments about commercials that appear during their favorite TV shows or media sites asking for aid, such as aid to abused animals is a pretty common one, or people who are suffering from various forms of structural violence. You know, it really upsets them. They wanted to chill out. They're not expecting to have their moment ruined. bell just to breathe a little bit. I'm trying to keep the volume of it down a little bit, but I think it was a little too loud that time. So somewhere inside of us, we may feel the need to act to reduce suffering, but we don't like what it might mean for us. Perhaps some economic loss. Uh, we have to give up some cash, or maybe we'll be stigmatized by our, by our associates or friends. If you have ever stepped outside of your group's norms, you'll likely feel it immediately as they try to reel you back in. If the norm in your particular group is not empathy, you'll hear about it when you offer support to the homeless person. You may hear things, things like, ah, they're only going to use it to buy drugs and alcohol. Ah, you've just been scammed. They drive a better car than, you, than yours. That's a favorite of mine. Um, they should get a job and pay taxes like the rest of us. It's funny, one of my friends once said that, and he was presently on unemployment because his job's seasonal. He could have worked, but he chose to collect unemployment. So I suggested to him, hey, you know, you're on public assistance. And that led to a, shall we say, a loud discussion. So I don't know if you've noticed this or considered it, but capitalism, as it's practiced in the U.S. today, is not a system that is particularly ethical on several levels. As an example... If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably working and may not feel like you're getting very far in life, especially with the pandemic, or more accurately, our economic situation, and including the global issues with inflation. Now, the homeless people are not responsible for this, nor are they responsible for the widening gap between the very rich and the middle class. Now, I'm going to let you look elsewhere for the causes of your struggles, because it is not the homeless people. So are we really seeking to ensure that each person has an equal chance at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? As we consume more and more in a way that's not sustainable, our bodies reflect this with that increase in our lifestyle diseases. And now in the U.S., the obesity rate is approaching 50%, or in for the first time 
in recorded history, our life expectancy is decreasing. And this was calculated before the COVID-19 pandemic. Then there's the climate crisis, you know, but that's a whole nother discussion. And before you throw the S-bomb at me, a label that you will use to give yourself permission to stop listening, let me share a couple of perspectives with you. Here's a quote. When I give to the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why they are poor, they call me a socialist. It's actually communist, but I changed it a bit since the label in the U.S. is usually socialist. That was a word from the sponsor. And that was from Brazilian Roman Catholic Archbishop Helder Camara. All right. So we have to work very hard as a culture to remove empathy for people in order to get them to go along with things that are decidedly non-empathetic. Some of our social structures do this exceptionally well by constructing warring tribes and creating an us-against-them or all-or-nothing dynamic. And a common strategy is claiming that our suffering is caused by other groups, which essentially scapegoats minorities for the most part because they're a weak group who has difficulty fighting back. That's called bullying, by the way. So historically, it's always been pretty easy to outgroup people and line up people against them. Uh, Examples abound, and we had the opportunity to witness misinformation and disinformation in our recent midterm elections in the U.S. Uh, We also see it in other countries, and especially the war in Ukraine. The propaganda mills are designed to generate fear and anger, and they reduce empathy between us. Remember, if we can get you into fight-flight, you're going to come from a defensive position. Now, just a little bit of definition here. Misinformation is false or inaccurate information. It's getting the facts wrong. Disinformation is false information, which is deliberately intended to mislead, intentionally making or misstating facts. Making facts up, I mean. So we have to counter all this noise that we have coming by basically learning, getting the facts, and committing to practicing empathy. Now, it can be learned, and when we encounter personal events that affect us, we can learn to have our empathy increase. I'll give you an example of it. Um, one of An associate of mine who was very much a General Patton fan, when we had nuclear weapons, we should have used them to take over the world before everybody else got them. Um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, a uh, bit of social Darwinism in there. Uh, what happened is his wife um, suffered a very serious medical issue. It would have cost him well into six figures, but he had health insurance. And then one day at a party, a holiday party, he said to me, gee, what do people do without health insurance? Everyone should have health insurance. And I thought, good, you've moved a bit. But he only moved because his empathy extended to someone close to him. So remember Einstein expand our circle of compassion to include all living creatures in the world in which we live that's what we aspire towards so I'm going to take a breath and have a little sip of water as we breathe together so some good news is empathy is being researched as of late, um, <laughs> I've mentioned a few of the researchers that are out there in past podcasts, and I'll post some on the uh, You Want a Piece of Me website. Um, 
But what we're seeing is um, a pretty significant decrease in empathy over the past 20 or 30 years, about 40% lower in college students. And I've been reading about this quite a bit. Um, I, found, I came across a really interesting statement. This was by Captain G.M. Gilbert, an Army psychologist assigned to watching the defendants at the Nuremberg trials. This is his perception. In my work with the defendants, I was searching for the nature of evil, and I now think I have come close to defining it, a lack of empathy. It's the one characteristic that connects all the defendants, a genuine incapacity to feel with their fellow men. Evil, I think, is the absence of empathy. That one really gives me the chills um, when I hear it. So, if you look at what's going on in media uh, in the U.S., and there was a fellow named David Neos who um, posted something in Psychology Today, Beware America's Shocking Loss of Empathy, <laughs> The Symptoms of, of a Society Becoming Unhinged. Now, that's one of those titles that gets you amped up, and, oh, i got to read this one, basically. But he really addressed um, an utter lack of empathy in political discord, uh, and also in our social media, and we see that going on today. What shall we censor? What shouldn't we censor? And again, censoring is a whole other issue. Uh, but it seems, as he put it, that our major media thrives on outrage, emotional, and personal attacks. It gets you to tune in. We have to tune in a little bit differently. We have to breathe and settle down and recognize what is perhaps the misinformation, the disinformation, and the motivation for providing you with information that's going to keep you tuned in. Now, if this type of thinking, non-empathetic thinking, uh, becomes the norm, we're in deep trouble. Because without empathy, we're capable of doing anything to anybody. That is, causing harm with little or no qualms about it. It may even become a just cause or a patriotic duty. Now, how do we get to the point where disabling empathy is so easy? Well, I just mentioned some of the reasons earlier. But remember how we talked about how important it is to not be in fight-flight, to be able to engage our higher cognitive functions. Now, we're simply too busy, too rushed, irritable, fatigued mentally and physically, doing too much with too little. We have COVID. We have economic and political turmoil. We're on edge. And we're primed to have national opinion shows amp us up further with their political brands of propaganda. Now, if we take some time to do self-care, that's going to allow us to remain connected with ourselves and each other. And this is crucial if we're to maintain our empathy. And, by the way, this can include uh, limiting the amount of toxic media we expose ourselves to. I was just uh, clicking through to look for some highlights of the World Cup. Yes, I've watched on occasion, even though the human rights issues in Qatar are seriously problematic, as they are in most World Cups. But I happened to come across a movie, John Wick. Oh my god, it was shooting in blood and revenge for a couple of minutes. I was like transfixed for a little while, but I felt my anxiety increasing. So I said, you know, I'm going to go do something useful like uh, my podcast or <laughs> grade some papers. So what I want you to understand is empathy is not a passive act. It's an assertive act. You choose to experience it. You choose to not experience. You choose to engage or disengage it. You choose to be with another who is suffering, and that includes yourself. And you also choose to assert yourself and tell others 
what your needs are and also to set limits with them so you don't get drained. It's a practice. It's a discipline. So next time we're going to continue to have fun with empathy. We may get to talk about empaths, those of you who are very sensitive and find the world disturbing, which I think most people would find it pretty disturbing on one level or another, but there's some of you who would really, really bothers you and creates a great deal of anxiety and often depression. Uh, till then, keep practicing meditation, mindfulness, yoga, mindful walking, exercise, or whatever it is that grounds you. Um, I like ecotherapy, an experiment with feeling, offering, and receiving empathy. You'll see changes in yourself. You'll see changes in others. So till next time, let's give ourselves and others some peace of mind.